Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and Premier Lighting. Welcome to Bakersfield Observed with Richard Bean, a podcast for and about Bakersfield and Kern County. Richard's guests are newsmakers, influencers, and personalities who address topics of interest to you and your neighbors and your community. The discussion is fast, informative, and always civil. Now, here's your host, Richard Bean. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of the new Bakersfield Observe podcast. We record it right here at the American General Media Offices off California Avenue and Highway 99 in Bakersfield. This podcast, I want to remind you, airs weekly, and it complements the work of my Bakersfield Observed blog. You can access this podcast via Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also pick it up on the kernradio.com website where I share all, you have access to all the podcasts, as well as information about our sponsors. The idea behind this podcast has been simple from the start. We want to provide a forum for the Bakersfield community to gather to discuss the issues that confront us all. And today, we welcome back an old friend of this show, Chad Hathaway. He's the president and CEO of Hathaway Oil. Chad, welcome back. Hey, Richard. Nice talking to you. Long time of talk. Oh man, it's good. I've I've been I've been looking forward to this, uh, Chad. You always kind of, as an outsider living in the oil patch, it's always fascinating to have you on to share your views. I wrote a couple things down here, Chad, as as an icebreaker here to open it up, and I want to get your reaction to it. First, you're a veteran oil producer in one of the most productive regions for fossil fuels, arguably in the world. Yet you also operate in California, which has basically declared war on your business. Um, where I sit, they would not be, could not be happier if you went out of business. We also have an administration that has basically declared war on your industry. One of President Biden's first actions when in office was to kill the Keystone Pipeline. Mm-hmm. During the Trump administration, we achieved energy independence, and yet now, we seem to be running out of energy, as the world does. Talk to me about the state of oil and gas production in California, and specifically in Kern County, and what the hell is going on in the world when you look around. There is so much energy demand right now, Chad, as you know, that they are dusting off old coal plants across the world and, and restarting them. What is going on? Well, you're right. So we we did have a. Well, I mean, the simplest indicator for you know person who doesn't understand the energy market is the gas pump and your power bill. Um, those are the the indicators that you should be in tune to understand that if there's bad energy policy or good energy policy, because good energy policy is is cheap energy. It's it's affordable energy. It's accessible and reliable energy, which uh, how many of those things can you say we have in California? <laughs> right. And so um, that's tied to good, to good and bad energy policy. On a national uh, basis, we have, you know, luckily we have various states, you know, the, main, the major oil producing states like Texas, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Louisiana, 
people that have places that have good energy policy that continue to generate you know substantial volumes of, of production and keep our you know country competitive um, and, and we're not as bad off as some places luckily you know, there's two types two primary forms of energy we really rely on in the United States one is is oil production and oil generates you know not just energy for transportation fuels but for you know, you know thousands and thousands and thousands of things we use in our daily lives but also natural gas which creates power and also lots of other refined types of products come from natural gas. Those two forms of energy are, you know, extremely important. And when you do bad policy and, and enact laws, or um, in our case, we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, religious. There's a there's a huge political part of the system now. Uh, I say it's pr- approaching about 20 to 30 percent of people that have, have a religious belief towards climate and a religious belief towards energy. It's not fact-based. It's not science-based, and, it, and, and that has garnered the attention. And a lot of it's our younger generation uh, of of the politicians that are now in office. Um, like you see, just the transition from Jerry Brown in California to Gavin Newsom. Jerry Brown was always willing to admit this is the reality of our energy scope. We can't ban this. We can't do that because it'll kill our economy. We have to be smart about it, and we can set audacious goals. And here I am talking about Jerry Brown now. He's so much better than Gavin Newsom. Right. But policy is directly affecting what was happening here in California from a pricing standpoint. At a national basis, you know, um, I, I don't think the current administration is as much to blame as is COVID, as is previous mm-hmm. poor performance by oil and gas companies who did not return money to their shareholders, who continued to drill, continued to drill, even when they were losing money. Um, and I think there's, it, we can't blame the government for everything. We can't say, okay, uh, it's the Biden administration that's causing all these bottlenecks. That's not the truth. The truth is, is that, you know, for years and years and years, our industry um, did not exercise restraint. We did not exercise discipline when it came to drilling, and we oversupplied the market. Hmm. Yes, we were energy independent. It was great, but we ran a lot of people out of business. We didn't generate the returns we needed to generate. And we didn't do what was needed, so the deferment of investment is now what you're seeing starting to affect the price of energy because nobody wanted to invest in oil forever, uh, and okay. COVID killed demand. So I can go on and on, but right. those are some of the big things that really are affecting us, and we, we have to be honest with ourselves when it comes to political things too as well. But California, yeah. yes, absolutely without a doubt. Our decline here, our, our pending demise is directly tied to really bad policy from this administration in Sacramento. I've never seen so much damage done in so quick. Right, that's amazing. I mean, is, is, can we talk about that? You referred to the religious views toward, toward energy. And to me, I, I want you to explain that because here's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like to me as in religions are based on faith, uh, not fact sometimes, faith in the, the life hereafter, faith in miracles, faith in a lot of things. Are you saying that the religious views are so di- are not based on fact? It's an emotion-based, we have to get off fossil fuels, we have to get off? I mean, explain that to me. Yeah, I think that, I know, I think there's, it's a little bit of both peppered in there, right? So it's not it's not an absolute, like, it's not like a religious, like you think of, of you know, being a Christian um, and believing in God versus not believing in God, right? And and not being able to see the tangibles associated with that. What we see a lot with with this, uh, with the, with I call it the climate alarmist, and we, I call it you know the people that are in the extreme 
uh, the, the actually the environmental litigation business, like groups like the Center for Biological Diversity, um, and there's also groups. That, believe me, on both sides of the fence, that financially benefit from from alternative energy. So you have to blend them all. There's every, there's not just one absolute here, but there are a certain sect of people of the population, just the general people that believe in vote in California, that think oh my gosh, we have to get off these fossil fuels and we have to do it now. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand because they're being scared and they've gotten to a point where they just believe that this is the devil. This is right. the devil and we've got to get rid of it instead of trying to figure out what the pros and the cons are. So you have a lot of that. And, and unfortunately, that has translated into the voting block in, in the state of California. Now, what we've tried to do is put facts in these people's hands put reality in these people's hands and, and help them understand it. But nobody believes uh, the oil industry can't do this. The oil industry has, has distrust. And we've been, we've been, um, I, I said that part of that's our fault, but I think over time you'll see that the oil industry is overall, it, it's been a good industry it has been, you know, we're not all bad guys. There's a lot of us that have done a lot of great things. Uh, a lot of companies have done a lot of great things over the years to, to earn the trust. But, you know, when you've got, uh, I, I think, also a sympathetic media to the, the climate alarmist side, and, and one of the perfect examples of that is a recent spill uh, in California that happened uh, in Huntington Beach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was, to me, a perfect example of how, you know, immediately the oil industry is villainized and and blamed and, and, and accused, and, and, and the topic is so sensitive and, and exaggerated that, exaggerated so that it makes things look a lot worse than what they really were. And and so I think there's a lot of the media that's very sympathetic and cooperative to, to that side that doesn't help us at all. Man, that's funny you mentioned that because I was watching the CBS News of the day of the Huntington Beach oil spill that you just mentioned. And Nora O'Donnell, who I respect, came on. And she, this, is the, this is the day one reporting. This is the breaking news reporting. And she referred to it not as a potentially catastrophic spill, but she said, this is a catastrophic event. Now, I know from my reporting days, and I'm not in your industry, that you don't, you don't really know about these things until they play out. How, you know, how are the tides going to, how, how is this spill going to be dispersed? How, and so I'll, my, you know, when you talk about a sympathetic media, I'm thinking, that's a that could be a poor choice of words that early into the exercise. And I'm not trying to downplay any kind of oil spill. I'm just saying I think mm-hmm. the default mode, I would agree with you, is to make these things more uh, dire than perhaps they are. How Talk to me about that spill and in the court mm-hmm. of public opinion. How do you deal with something like that? I, I think I sifted through about 30 articles uh, um or, or write-ups online and about that. Um, you know, I saw that, like, in reference to d- animals, I saw dozens. Of, and I want you to think about this in context, right? Um, we produce in barrels, not gallons. The media has taken volumes and try to translate that to what, you know, you take a, a, a barrel is 42 gallons. Um, the amount of oil that spilled was actually, it didn't actually spill. It was a pipeline, an undersea pipeline that was ruptured, more than likely ruptured by an anchor from a boat. Mm-hmm. And so let me, this pipeline is a known nautical hazard. It's not even in the ship channel. But because of our supply chain is so backed up, we've got about 60 to 80 
cargo ships backed up outside the port of Long Beach and Los Angeles that are parking in places they never should be parking. Interesting. And so when they further investigated this, after they villainized and demonized the oil company, they found out it was a boat anchor. And then the media kind of by proxy just shut up about the story and it went away. When the media said it was going to be months and it was going to be devastating and, and climate change is going to worsen the spill and, and, and it's one of the largest and it's foul and it's massive and enormous, it came, it, the beach got back to life in six days. It, they reopened the, the beach. Quote, when they reopened the beach, I thought, well, where's the catastrophe? And I, again, I'm not trying to make light of this, but it is how – if this is how – the media is handling this. Well, no wonder you have, you know, you have your 20% of the people who are a lot, who feel like they do. But think, no, but think about this. Think about it. You know how many birds died? Less than a dozen. Six birds died. More birds die up in Tehachapi every day. Right. I'm yeah. telling you right now. The amount of oil that spilled was less than a parked swimming pool. You took a, a swimming pool from uh, a park or high school and that's how much oil spilled less than that say that again this is important the amount of oil that spilled was less than what is contained like if you go to mcmurtry auto aquatic center and just one of those like park-sized swimming pools olympic-sized swimming pool it's less oil spilled than what's in a pool i had no idea yeah yeah wow so let's take that into context Think about all the things that every day go into our gutters, go into our streets, go into our air, go into whatever. We have an oil spill every day. Mm-hmm. Every day of the year, we have a chemical release or something that's bad for the environment. But because it's oil and because it's in the ocean, which actually you know, you've lived in California long enough to, when you go to the Santa Barbara Channel or any beaches over there, thousands of barrels of oil, barrels, I say barrels, if I translate it to gallons, it'd be a ridiculous number, seep up out of the ocean floor and end up on the beach mm. by natural causes. It's mm. mm. amazing. So, I don't know. It bothers me. That really bothers me that people read these things and they believe. My mom, who is my mother, <laughs> is, her son's in this business, she reads this stuff and she starts to believe it. She turns like, on you. <laughs> I'm like, Mom, come on. I know you're getting to be 80, but come on. Right, right. Talk to me. I There was a story in uh, – so much of this is wrapped around the perils and the fear of climate change, and there is a lot of people stoking the fear up there in, in young people. I hear this from my 30-year-old daughter. She goes, Dad, there is no planet B, which is fine, but, uh, you know, we, we, you should probably dig a little deeper than that. There was a story in the New York Times yesterday – I want to read you the top of this and then you get, get your get your get your take. It says it begins like this: Clean energy technologies such as wind turbines, solar panels, and electric vehicles are advancing so rapidly that the global use of fossil fuels is now expected to peak by the mid 2020s and then start declining. But there's a catch: the transition away from coal, oil, natural gas still isn't happening fast enough to avoid dangerous levels of global warming, the agency said, at least not unless governments take much stronger action to reduce their planet warming carbon dioxide emissions over the next few years. They said global coal use is expected to fall between now and 2050, despite an uptick this year driven by increased industrial activity in China, while global mm-hmm. oil demand is expected to enter into permanent decline by the 2030s as people switch to 
electricity to fuel their cars. All fine and well, but as as a as a layman, Chad, I'm looking at this, and isn't this rush toward whether you agree with it or not? With the rush toward electrical power, you know, uh, we live in a state where yesterday, Chad, some homeowners in Kern County on Comanche Drive lost their power. PG&E shut them down because they were worried about winds and, and fires. We have a grid that can't handle current demand. I see no parallel action going on at this point to rebuild our energy grid. If we're going to put 40 million cars and trucks on this thing in California, uh, where is this going to come from? What, what's your position on that? Well, I, you know, I, I think it's laughable you know, that, that, you know, I, we have one of the most incredible planning department directors in the state of California, Lorelai Oviat. I just think the world of her and she's put more solar projects in the ground in California than anybody else in any other county. I mean, we produce like 60% of the state's renewable energy and, and, and nobody knows that grid and that system and that way and works with everybody better. I think than Lorelai, I'm a huge fan of hers. And she, her, you asked her like, hey, we just, I think we just approved another 500 megawatt solar project just a couple of days ago. The problem is transmission, and we don't have enough transmission lines. So you mm-hmm. can put all the solar in the ground you want. That's one of the main problems. You can't get it from point A to point B. Another problem is the sun goes down. Yeah. And whether, and this has always been the argument of the the fundamental people that really look at renewable energy, and they look at it without bias, it's, and they can say, the main problem is is that it's unreliable. We call we always refer to them as the unreliables. So uh, coal, uh, natural gas, oil. These are all things that can be turned on and turned off 24 hours a day, 365 days a week. So how do you solve the the the, the unreliable part of renewable energy? Mm-hmm. The only way to solve that is through capacity. Batteries are recapturing power some way or another. Well, what does that mean? Okay. What is? What, okay. We can, okay. We'll just go out and get a bunch of batteries, right, Richard? We'll just go get a bunch of huge batteries, and we'll put them next to solar farms, and we'll, at nighttime we'll turn the batteries on, and then we'll we'll keep the lights on, right? Well, here's the problem with that: batteries require a substantial amount of rare earth minerals, substantial amount. Talking lithiums, all these crazy metals that you and I can't even pronounce. They come from all these different places in the world. Well. People don't think about that when, when they're in an electric vehicle. Yes, it, it, it's, of course, it, redu- it reduces the output of CO2. Um, but you're just, trans- you're just changing mm-hmm. one non-renewable resource for another non-renewable resource that's even rarer, even harder to find, even more diverse. And I don't care how much battery technology has a long ways to go, a long ways to go. So that's why there's more and more talk about hydrogen. And I applaud the big oil companies that are they're being forced to transition to investing some of their money, but they're also being required to return investment to their shareholders. But where I see things, I see solar and I see battery technology, I see that there's some serious challenges, not just from the technology, but also from the, the need for rare earth minerals, which most of which are in China. So yeah. you, you're really going to have some challenges if you're going towards the battery solution. And then if you look at the hydrogen solution, people say that's as much as 30 to 40 years away from being something that's actually viable. So nobody thought this out, right? When you talk, go back to that New York Times article and you think of climate alarmism and you think about all this, 
my my question is you can't control every country in this world you can't control russia you can't control china we can't control you can shame them they don't care they're going to do it like right now 19 count 19 provinces in china are at an energy emergency. They're trying to import every ounce of coal they can get their hands on. Right. They don't care about the climate. They're going to keep the lights on and keep their manufacturing plants going because that's what keeps money flowing in the door and people fed and hungry and happy. They're going to do what they need to do. So at what point do we meet, meet the precipice of let's start preparing for climate change and putting money to bridges, levees, whatever, shifting over, becoming more reliable, more resourceful with our water supplies when do you start spending money stop spending money trying to control people and start trying to say hey let's just deal with what we're going to deal with and figure out how to deal with it it's you know it 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 seems to me again not from your industry but having having worked in a corporate environment when you tackle any problem you're looking for solutions that are number one are available number two are affordable Number three, that kind of you know fit the uh, the the mission of your of your uh, of your company. If if we cannot affect climate change unless China and the developing world is on board, and they're not, as you say, they are building coal fire plants. They're importing. They're they're running out of energy now. The question is always puzzling to me, Chad, and I understand that, okay, I guess it's important to do the right thing no matter what everybody else is doing. But if we can't affect climate change, um, the American taxpayer can can, can be burdened with all forms of taxes and and regulations, and yet we won't move the dime at all unless the rest of the world is with us. That's puzzling to me. You know, I'm not professing. I'm not a Trump fan. Never, never was. I mean, I'm just saying. But there was some. There, there actually, there was some pretty good. I somewhat agree with saying that. Why am I going to kill myself, shoot myself in the foot? Well, I mean, that's not the right collaborative way to work this work. But right. I just don't think you could do it. It's impossible. You tell me how you can get 50 of your friends, or in this case, the whole world, with all these diverse, different types of economies and you know, at different stages in their, you know, third world, second world, first world. How can you tell a guy in Africa you can't drive a, a, a internal combustion engine or you can't burn the cheapest form of energy when you can't, they can't even afford to put power in a hospital? How, how the hell are you going to do this at some point? So in some sort of, I guess you could take a good swing about bringing all the big, the nation, the world's industrial nations together, but this this is really, it's crazy because it, the most successful effort that's ever done in this manner, was called the I believe it was called the Montreal Accord. It was done in the '90s. It was part of the Reagan administration, hmm. and that's when they started removing some of these really highly dangerous toxins that were, uh, you know, really damaging the, the ozone, uh, like the refrigerants and stuff like that. They banned them. They worked together with the world. That, if you look back at one of the most impactful things to the environment on a global scale, that Montreal Accord was the most successful thing ever done. The second best thing was China's single child policy, believe it or not. Mm. But that accord was like the only, if you want to really set your watch by a nationwide effort that really worked, look at that. That worked better than anything and removed more uh, dangerous, um, I think it was carbofluorocarbons that were really hurting the ozone. That worked. But the Paris Accord is so broad and, and what we're trying to accomplish as far as right now, the climate change, 
this is the model doesn't seem to work, and you nailed it with your business. You know, you prioritize, you look at your biggest expenses, you look at your lowest expenses, you don't worry about those first, you worry about the big ones, and you tackle it, you know, with the common sense. We're not doing it that way. Yeah. We're attacking fossil fuels across the board, and it's really not the right way to do it. You've got to look at the pros and the cons. Boy, I, I think you hit on something really important here, and that's population control. And I always consider that kind of like the, one of those third rail issues that we don't want to talk about because you start talking about population control, you start, you, you're getting into religion, you're getting into free will, you're getting into free choice, you're, you're starting to, to tell people how many children they can have, which would not be a popular thing. But if, if man causes fossil fuels, Chad Hathaway, don't we eventually need to address how many people are on the planet? <laughs> yes, we do. You know? I mean, how are we going to feed them? I mean, it's just like, you know, my nephew's an agribusiness major. Even one of the classes he took in college is how do you feed and clothe 10 billion people? Right. And I asked him, what did you learn? He's always, I don't know how the hell we're going to do it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so hey, you mentioned you mentioned uh, hydrogen, and I had read a piece. Uh, I know little to nothing about this, but I believe. Help me here, but I believe is is Chevron making a big bet in into green hydrogen? And can yeah. you, can you tell me about that promise? What that looks like? How how green so, hydrogen sits alongside wind and solar? You know, hydrogen's uh, obviously there's they call it green hydrogen. There's 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 they have like three tiers of hydrogen, and you know, from what I, I don't know a lot about hydrogen. Um, one thing I applauded Chevron on, I said, "We're we're not getting into wind and solar. It's saturated. It doesn't make any sense. It's not. They didn't say it was necessarily not sustainable, but they just didn't think that was the route, the best business route to go, and wasn't going to generate. So they committed. I think it was like ten billion dollars to invest in hydrogen over the next ten years or whatever it was. But hydrogen is so." It's liquid. It's similar to the fuel. It's something that, that can be, um, well, it's gaseous liquid, I guess, and, and, and it can be a lot more efficiently created once it's, 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 it's mastered. But there's so many different types of it. Mm. I know there's a huge push in California to try to figure out how to make hydrogen work um, because I think they really understand the limitations of EVs and what's going to happen over time with you know, I mean, eventually EVs are going to become unsubsidizable because of the cost. Right. Um, and that's all, it's like like I told you about the minerals. So I think hydrogen is. I, I don't like I said. I don't know a lot about hydrogen, but from what I have read, hydrogen has got a lot of promise um, if they can just figure it out. But everything I've heard is it's 30 to 50 years really away from being. And maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but from actually being a reality. It, it, you you talked about those that 20% of the people or whatever who view climate change almost with with a in the religious con context if if you had a chance Chad Hathaway to have a room full of you know young people in your room say 30 to 40 of them and you're and and you're carrying the message to them what what would you tell them i would say look at the facts and I'd say ask yourself you know what? What what does your life look like? I mean, if you had to change your life overnight, how, how would you do that? How, how could you take everything? And, and you could just sit, put somebody in a room, and say, "How do you, you, you know?" By after, after by the time I got to my thirtieth product made from petroleum, 
and, and, and let's say, how do we transition off? How do we kill this industry overnight? I mean, we're setting goals that are really crazy. And how do we kill this industry? How, 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 do you, how can you be honest with yourself? Are you really being honest with yourself on what the reality is? Mm-hmm. And when you set goals, do you say, I'm going to be able to go, like say, for example, you go to the gym and you want to be able to bench press. Are you saying you're, going to bench, you're not all going to bench press 500 pounds? You're not going to be able to do that. Set realistic goals. You know, set things that make sense. And in the meantime, let's figure out how to make things cleaner and not demonize people who are good people trying to do the right thing trying to bring energy to the world, trying to bring the products and all the different wonderful things that we provide that have brought in this country, you know, from basically nothing to an incredibly powerful nation. That was all done on the backs of cheap energy, which is oil. Oil has carried us to where we're at today. It's extended our life expectancy to over 80 years old. I mean, we've done remarkable things because of oil. I mean, coupled with other things, but you couldn't do it without oil. I guarantee you I could pick it apart and if you could tell me why we're healthier, why we're stronger, why we're better, a lot of that is because of oil. It's a huge component of that. So if, do you really want to throw something away like this? It's such a valuable resource. And I, w- um, I, 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 would, I would add to that, how do you, and you mentioned it earlier, how do you tell the village in Central Africa that they're never going to have paved roads or a, a electrical infrastructure that they can afford because we're going to deny them the use of their own fossil fuels that allowed this country to become the greatest, most prosperous country in the world. That seems to me supremely arrogant. It is very arrogant. I think it's ignorant, too. Um, you know, but there's certain people um, in, in, our, in our society who... Um, uh, let me give you an example. So one of... Uh, he died. I don't know if you heard of Aubrey McClendon. Do you know who Aubrey McClendon no. is? No. I do not. He formed a company called Chesapeake. It was one of the, the largest natural gas producers in, in, in the world. Um, it was a company based out of Oklahoma City. And when natural gas was up and coming and became a, more of a power staple, Aubrey McClendon invested millions in Greenpeace to kill coal. You can't tell me that that's not happening by guys like Tom Steyer and other people in the, in the business world to try to kill fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. You kill fossil fuels, it benefits somebody else. Right. Now, I'm not a, a huge con- conspiracy theorist, but I know for a fact that we, that people in our industry did it to coal. Coal had a demise much more rapid than what basically should have happened. Right. Because of this rapid and aggressive, and the only, the only reason it happened so quickly is because natural gas was there to prop it up. It's follow the money, isn't it? Follow the money, and because I guarantee you, there's a part of that going on right now with renewables. Mm-hmm. You can't say it's a clean, but that's the thing with the religious folks. It's you know, it's like Jesus. You, you've got the, the you know, renewable. It's just beautiful and it's wonderful. It's great. And there's nothing tied to it. And it's beautiful. It's not all beautiful, and it's not all perfect, and it's not all sunshine and rainbows. There's 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 some some not good stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. Some not good decisions being made with their money. And, the, and I guess what I'm ready to see here this winter, when we, we face these massive shortages of natural gas, and when, they're, when your power prices, and when they start burning more oil around the world because they can't afford to buy natural gas in Europe, 
because they starved themselves. Germany is a perfect example of a failure of renewable energy. Germany was way, way ahead of us when it comes to getting rid of coal. Now they're bringing back coal. Now they're being starved because of Russian gas policy and all those different things that are happening in Europe when it pertains to natural gas. They predict $100 uh, per therm natural gas this winter if we have a cold enough winter um, because of all the decarbonization they've done. So now they're like, oh, my God, just like California, we put three. You didn't see this in the headlines, but the only thing that kept us from going having multiple blackouts this summer was the fact that we put on three formally banned um, power plants for fuel on natural gas. <laughs> I mean, it's go. unbelievable. And, yeah. and then they told us, I got a call. I, people who, like myself, are huge consumers of power. The state was willing, the state of California government, this is all uh, money came from, from the government when it came for, for COVID. I was told that a part of a, to be part of a program that they would pay me $2 per kilowatt hour just to turn my pumps off. Oh! <laughs> I said, wow, I'll seriously think about that. Why not just turn it off? This is all being done by our governor to make sure we didn't have the blackout. Wow. All these flex alerts you heard about, why should you have to flex your power? You pay more for your power in the state of California than anywhere else in the country. Why should you have to flex your power? That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And then, and then they're, they're secretly turning on fossil fuel plants in the background to keep the lights on. Yeah, right. It's, it's crazy, man. It, it, it is crazy. Uh, no. Chad, you, you, you're, you're in a business that is, that is obviously capital in, intensive. And, you know, your capital mm-hmm. comes from institutional and individual investors and shareholders and that type of thing. Are, are we in danger of crossing the line where – investors become convinced that there's better places to put their money uh, that would affect your access to capital that 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 would that would start to make life difficult for your industry well we I personally have experienced the um, you know, kind of put your fingers in a cross and point away if somebody you know <laughs> when, when like I'm I'm dirty no, I'm very unbankable because I'm in the California oil and gas business. Yeah. Um, and our industry doesn't. Our industry is when we when I look at I look I get a I get a lot of nationally you know published reports on our and specialty periodical articles on our business. They don't even cover the West Coast anymore. They don't even look at it. You know, we used to be the number one oil producing county in the U.S. Wow. California used to be the number three state, I believe it was, number two or three, and we were up there behind Alaska and Texas, obviously. We're now working our way, way down the list um, because energy policy other places has, has promoted production. We're like persona non grata. I mean, they, banks don't want to bank us because they can't predict. Like what? Just last this week, we got our ability to permit taken away again. Mm-hmm. So we can't drill walls for a while. Now we've got to figure out what the hell we're going to do. And wait till next May or June again. I mean, we've had this constant disruption of of, of an agency, a state that under the state constitution is required to promote and develop and protect the environment from production of oil and gas. But the whole promote and protect, the promote part, they've forgotten. So we, we're having a difficult time. And when you don't invest capital in our business, you'll see, like in California, a majority of our oil is imported from other countries, which is very frustrating because those countries don't have one hundredth of the regulatory um, mm-hmm. spectrum that we do. They don't. They don't follow the same rules that we do. They don't. 
live that. But we're every day consuming their oil, enriching their pockets, doing what they paying more for oil than anywhere else in the country because we don't have enough of it here. Yeah, will we ever up because we consume almost two million barrels a day of oil in California? Will we ever make that much in California? No, we probably won't without some radical change, which is impossible. But we shouldn't hurt our friends, and we shouldn't hurt our families, and we shouldn't hurt our neighbors and our big taxpayers, and we should cherish what natural resources we have and maximize them for our benefit. And I think that's the problem is that but when when the, when their banks and, and investors and groups and they see um, they see what's happening in California, they don't feel comfortable. They, they feel like all of a sudden one day, you know, Sacramento can shut us down, and so it, it makes it hard for us to develop our assets. Absolutely. Um, so it's tough. Ah, you're in a tough business. Uh, I, look, I want to thank you for sharing the last 40, 45 minutes with us. Chad sure. Hathaway, always great to have you on, sir. You always cut through it and kind of uh, explain it on a layman's level that I need. Will you uh, join us back when, when the time permits? I always enjoy talking to you. You make it so easy. You're the only show I can go on that you don't have to prepare a whole massive script. <laughs> okay. All right. Chad Hathaway, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and Premier Lighting.